0: Tell you how grateful I am that you came here today, especially today. Um, From the generations of family that haven't yet been born, uh, what you did and what you represent is very significant to me. And and I know it is to a lot of people that you'll never meet. So thank you very much for coming on and and being who you are. Well,
1: thank you for allowing me to spill my whatever it is, <laughs> your story is amazing. Story. well, thank you, Kendall.
0: What do you remember? Do you have any memories of your parents like
1: what they went through and my my mother uh, came over was brought over by her brother before World War one and remained eventually married my father, who uh, uh, had come over, and and with he and his brother indentured himself to uh, an uncle in uh, Glens Falls, New York, learned the candy business, and my uncle and he uh, had a candy store in Hudson Falls, New York, very successful, apparently, Uh, and um, then he... uh, traveled around where my uncle instead came to Cleveland and set up and never went anywhere else. My father went back to Greece ostensibly to help in the Balkan War, uh, but it was over by the time he got there. He did lose uh, a brother. I had an uncle who was in the Balkan War and he uh, succumbed to some sort of a fever. And I am named after him. He was also John. At any rate, my father came back and traveled to California, did various jobs there until he was called back to Cleveland by his brother and said, I need your help. And we were opening up a, uh, a candy manufacturing company, which they had for a while, and I don't know by what reasons or whatever, they had, there were two, there were four of them that were involved in this Diana Candy Company here in Cleveland, the two Karis brothers and my uncle and my dad. I guess that fell through and my dad had various other jobs thereafter. He got married and worked at a uh, cigar store for a while and uh, eventually worked as a grocer for a, uh, a grocer that was on Chester Avenue. And uh, uh, he um, would work, I think every two weeks he had Sunday off. And that's when we would uh, go out and he uh, we would pick dandelions or uh Pick strawberries or raspberries, and he knew where everything was and as we were driving out, he would also tell you know point out now that field over there is that's uh that's rye and there is wheat and just by listening to him uh I think he would have loved to have been a farmer, but my mother uh she was spoiled. Uh, her brothers brought her over, as and uh, both of them were relatively successful, and she and my they she lived with my one uncle who, who was married. The other uncle was a bachelor, but uh, they both uh, were also given almost anything they wanted, and uh, so she was spoiled, and she had no desire to live on a farm. So there was that conflict uh, constantly, and my father acquiesced to that and uh, did whatever he could to uh, uh, keep us uh, out of the welfare program, which was uh, prevalent at the time, to help people over the bad time of the Great Depression. We, uh, I remember sometimes uh, when there was a little bit of... uh, uh sustenance uh, in the uh, in the family it was okay other times i would go to school in the winter time with holes in my shoes stuff them with stuff them with cardboard or i would instead of knickers i went to school in short pants to, but i guess the the girls did pretty much the same thing and i never thought of it at that time but it was uh i probably was one of the only ones in the school, elementary school, that uh, came to school in the winter in short pants. Nevertheless, we we survived, and we uh, we lived close to Lake Erie, and my brother and I would go down to uh, Gordon Park, which had a sand beach at that time and a uh, a rock pier, which uh, a double rock pier, where the uh, they had a boat livery there, and the the double rock pier allowed the boats to get out into the uh, rough water uh, safely. But we fishermen could walk along the rocks, which we had would, over the winter because of uh, uh, the ice, uh, would change positions uh, from year to year. We would go walk out as far as possible and with uh, uh, some kite string, uh, a... Uh, a safety pin and a, and a rock for a sinker we would toss it <laughs> and so that that was the type of innovations and things that we uh, uh, availed ourselves of because it very few of us had any means to get anything more than that during the uh, uh during the late 20s and early 30s we somehow constructed ourselves like uh, scooters, we took old roller uh, steel roller uh, skate uh, wheels, put them on the bottom of a two by four, and took an orange crate. And what what year was that, John? Probably, let's see, 30, 36, 37. We would gather acorns and cut them into little rings or make a face and put a little cotton on top of it for little Santa Claus thing. Or we would get horse chestnuts and make necklaces with it by putting them together. And there was, it put one at the end of a string and two strings different lengths, and start one in one direction, the other in the other direction, and just move them up and down, and they would whirl. And we had a little playground across the street from where we lived, and we always had softball games. So I was into softball f- from a very early age, and even uh, went to League Park uh, the- every summer. Every school was given. I mean, during the school season, every school was given tickets to a particular game in the uh, summer, and uh, we would go to league park on that day and see whoever was playing against the Indians at the time. Saw quite a few of the who you read about and are in the Hall of Fame, and uh, I guess baseball stuck with me because I. I continued to play baseball until I realized that uh, I just wasn't going to make it anymore. Uh, and uh, it, I played softball uh, in, in the playground and uh, in junior high school. In high school, I played hard hard, uh, hard ball, and uh, I I played uh in the army, and I. Was on reserves team in 1946, uh, and we played at League Park, which had been abandoned by the Indians, and they were playing down at the 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 old stadium, which was cavernous, built in 1930s for apparently a bid for the Olympics, which never happened uh, to Cleveland, and uh, it uh, I enjoyed playing. I enjoyed playing baseball to the point where I still follow it, and I go down to the Indian. I did go down to the Indians' game very frequently until my my legs, which had been two of my physical attributes uh, not attributes but help, I had healthy, strong legs and an excellent eyesight. I think. uh, it was much better than 2020, and I think that's one of the reasons that I was able to uh, sustain a high batting average because I could see that ball coming in, and I had no problem hitting it. Fast ball, slow ball, curve, and drop is what they call it. Oh. I don't know what they call them now, but oh, and then there was the fifth one the bean ball. (laughs) They advocated the bean ball, and that was to dust them off. And there weren't helmets, and they just had uh, uh, just a a, a felt cap or whatever material that was. Uh, And, uh, but... I did have problems with left-handers which is surprising because I was a right-handed uh, I, I you know I batted right-handed and supposedly right-handers are supposed to hit left-handers pretty for whatever reason uh they baffled me for you know for a while but I don't know the direction from which it came into the into the plate or not but uh I played second base I was short then uh, probably one of the although I'm short now I was five over 5 inches taller at that time which was still short and uh, I, I had sort of a, a rag arm I couldn't really throw any great distances but I, I mean if, second to first is a very short throw or toss anyhow I played uh, I I played uh, Sandlot ball, hardball. I played high school, varsity. As I said before, I played in the army and I played with the uh, the college team and then decided that uh, uh, maybe I'd better give it up to uh, fast women and slow horses. So <laughs> I, I decided to. But to you still quit. fall,
0: you're in the. Um,
1: you had season tickets ever since they opened the stadium, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, we had season tickets the last season of the, uh, uh, down at the old stadium. And uh, I very fortunately was able to select a great, great, great section. And our seats are actually in section 150, which is, if you sit in our seats, we look down the third base line. And we're about 15 rows up from uh, the field. And uh, it's, people enjoy them. And all of this has been taken over by my son, and he is in charge of it. Uh, and we have a group uh, that get tickets from us at uh, number, I think it's up to about 12 that uh, get various amounts of tickets from 5 to 12 games a year. We just lost one of the, one of our people that uh, uh, got tickets from us who coincidentally he and I graduated high school together. We played on the reserve team together and uh, we, he was a long time season holder and Lou passed away a couple of weeks ago and um, it's just strange uh, because he apparently went in for one one thing and another uh, for one a opera, heart operation, which apparently, from what his son tells me, was successful. But then he had a double hernia operation, and something must have gone wrong. His son uh, related to me, and uh, it uh, I did him in, unfortunately. There's a couple of questions that
0: that I've always um, been interested in. Is like when you heard what was happening uh, over in Europe and in Japan, and were you like, was it just background noise, like political stuff, or did you feel
1: a sense of people were worried? Well. I first became aware of uh, the uh, rise of the dictator in Europe. Uh, in junior high school, we would get a weekly uh, uh, news uh, letter about the, the United States and things going on in the world. And, uh, uh, his, and then it started getting more and more European by the German uh acquiring surrounding territories by their uh military a show of military might and no one no one stopped them i was aware that uh, things were brewing but uh, really not uh in you know that was far away in and the thought of uh, anything more than it was a, a news story i was never very political and uh, i we were never political at home. Uh, my parents were immigrants, and they were really not involved uh, in in politics like they that had lived here and uh, had been immersed in that. So I wasn't really concerned. It didn't. I didn't feel one way or another, other than it was news. Uh, it uh, finally built up to the point where. I, uh when he started the war uh in 39 uh when the invasion of poland i was 14 i mean uh, i mean i was uh, politics uh, uh, i never subscribed to politics uh i'm not happy with them now either but <laughs> at any rate um i was 14 when th- the war started 2 years later or uh, almost two years later, when I was sixteen, Japan, who had joined uh, the Axis uh, Hitler's group with uh, Italy and some other Balkan countries, as we now know, inv- uh, bound Pearl Harbor and did a, and started immersed us in the war. Do you
0: remember those days, like when you saw the newspaper about Pearl Harbor?
1: Very definitely, I at the time Euclid Avenue was rife with uh, different theaters, uh, uh, and this one theater is, uh, showed nothing but uh, uh, news reels and news of the day. And it happened that my cousin and I uh, went to that one that one a- late afternoon, and as we were coming out, it was getting. Uh, grey, but uh, in the lobby there were these uh, teletype sheet, yellow teletype sheets posted on the war. I stopped and read them, and I was always inter- interested in geography. Uh, and it said, Japan-, the Jap- "Japan has bombed Pearl Harbor." Pearl Harbor. I stopped. I said, "Pearl Harbor. That's our territory. We're at war." I mean, it was you know, v- right away. I knew right away and I I was sort of stunned and not thinking of you know how it would affect me uh until uh, at 16 uh I had uh, uh I had heard that there was conscription for they that were uh, over I I forget what age 35 or whatever it was prior to the it, it, the bombing of Pearl Harbor that uh, they were conscripted. Apparently, they knew that it was the war was uh, they the the government they that are always in the know knew that uh, uh, we would be involved in a conflict, so they conscripted these people. And they went away uh, to the various military things. Goodbye, dear, I'll be back in a year. That was the length of time, supposedly, that they would serve and train because our military was down to nil, ill-equipped. Uh, we were so far away from everything, we apparently didn't have anything to fear. Well, we we learned differently those guys that went away, goodbye, dear, I'll be going for a year, We're in for about six years. And uh, I, uh, as I said, I was uh, 16 at the time. Uh, when I was 18, I, was, I too was conscripted with all other 18-year-olds. And uh, when I was 19, I was in combat. When you went through your training, did you kind of know what you were in for? I wasn't quite sure how what I would be in for, but uh, uh, I wasn't overly excited. Uh, but I was uh, en- enthusiastic. I was ready to join and do whatever. In fact, I uh, I had uh, visions of going to West Point. But I wasn't quite sure how it went about being a political, and uh, had no connections uh, to po- uh, politics. But I got a syllabus from the school, from the, the academy, and I looked at it, and I looked at some of the sections where it showed uh, the math problems. I said, "Oh, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm I'm up to this." Uh, at any rate, uh, I. I I was ambivalent, but maybe more enthusiastic about getting into service and and uh, uh. my basic training was fun. I was athletic, and a lot of it had to do with that. And although I was pretty much the smallest of any of the groups that uh, I've ever been with, I I competed uh, very well at any at any level. And I enjoyed it. It was it was fun, uh, and I don't um, I don't just dist- uh, don't regard it as being a, a detriment. Some of them, some of the guys did, and it and it was strange when we first left Cleveland as. Uh, before we even got any uniforms, we were sent down to what was then outside of Columbus. Fort Hayes was one of the military establishments that was still uh, permanent, and we were in a big room with uh, with cots, for sleeping overnight to sleep overnight before we. Uh, would get up uh, the next day and be refitted and uh, have a big mess hall, and that we were then definitely in the army. But it's, I still remember there, I forget, there must have been about 15 or 16 of us that had been sent there to be, uh, that had just been inducted into the army. And that night there was a couple of the guys were crying, sort of crying and calling for their mother. And I thought that, to me, I just, yeah, I left my parents, but I didn't think anything of it, but they apparently were quite attached to him. I was too, but I mean, I understood what was happening. You left Cleveland
0: and then you like went to New York or how did you, how did you get to Europe? Uh,
1: From Cleveland, we were inducted into, uh, at, in Columbus and from Columbus I went to uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, where I had basic training. And from basic training, uh, we went to uh, Louisiana, uh, to the 86th Infantry Division. 86th Infantry Division uh, completed uh, uh, maneuvers and then went out to California, was set out to California to learn uh, 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 jungle tra- jungled warfare and landings. And uh, b- because of the situation in Europe, we did not go to uh, the South Pacific at that time. Uh, uh, as I understand it afterward, I didn't know at the time, but our Objective, along with other army divisions and a couple of marine divisions, we were to uh, be in on the invasion of Okinawa. But instead, we went cross country to uh, to uh, Massachusetts, and from Massachusetts on a troop ship uh, across to La Havre, and that's uh, from uh, being refitted in in France. We were trained. Uh, to the uh, uh, into Germany and then trucked to a, a, a spot outside of uh, Duran and uh, eventually uh, replaced uh, the Eighth Division in the, securing uh, the west bank of the of the Rhine at Cologne from the north end of Cologne to the south end of Cologne were our division's uh, positions. That's how I got to Europe. And that was, what month was that? Do you know? Uh, Yes. We we landed in France in uh, uh, January, no, February. We landed in France in February, and uh, then we were, after checking in to make sure who was coming into the continent, they had some 10 cities, and... uh, then we uh, went up to um, an area of France, I think near New New Chateau, and did some training and were refitted and and uh, got our our armor before we tra- trekked into uh, we trained into uh, Germany, and that was uh, March, sometime in March. And we actually were committed. The, the Rhine uh, was probably the latter part of April. I mean, of March and uh, and in April we were uh, trucked around across the Rhine and uh, were part of. Uh, uh, Eighteen divisions that were had encircled the Ruhr pocket, and and uh, were part of eliminating what was still a formidable German army of over three hundred thousand men, and we completed that. Uh, and uh, uh, after that was complete, we were uh, we were assigned to. Patton's Army. We had originally, when we first were in Cologne, we were with uh, Simpson's Ninth Army, and when they decided uh, to eliminate the uh, rear pockets, we were assigned to Patch's First Army. When that was completed, we were assigned to to Patton's Third Army. Because apparently at the time, they didn't know, but there was rumors that Hitler had still another army in Bavaria, as they call it, the Redoubt. And so we augmented Patton's arm, army in order to do this. As we uh, took town after town, going down south, uh, Patton split off, and we were assigned to the 7th Army that was... Uh, uh, I forget. I think that was let's see, Patch, Hatch's Army, uh, and uh, then we were also assigned to a French Army uh, uh, after we had crossed the Rhine. So we were in different armies, uh, and, and as and it, it, uh, wherever they wherever they wanted to put us in their need was there a sense of relief once
0: you were west of the Rhine or were you like, Hey, I'm going to come home. Like, did you have any
1: of those feelings? I had different feelings at different times. Uh, I knew it wasn't cops and robbers and uh, cowboys and Indians anymore. And, uh, uh, and you could see the devastation and we saw the bodies that uh, were uh, frozen and glistening uh, yellow. In the in uh, it, 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 it was it was real. And uh, while we were in the Ruhr, it was work. I mean, we we were assigned a, a particular job, and uh, and a, and a town and uh if we were successful uh we took it uh we had uh our our first our, we became from a green unexp- inexperienced outfit we became quickly became uh, aware of what was happening when our first casualty had been shot through the head by a sniper uh Jimmy Curtis uh, had volunteered he was with the second platoon of our company he had volunteered to go around a building to reconnoiter, reconnoiter and uh for his uh his uh, platoon and uh, they found him uh, uh the way they found him and he was our first casualty we became quickly uh in, involved. We, uh, it uh, we were still green because we took that town little town and there must have we got about maybe 40 uh, 35 to 40 uh, of the, the Germans which they, we lined them up outside of the little ridge and lined them up side by side and we had them strip all their clothes. Why? Because we had the our jungle training, we had heard that the enemy would come in with uh, explosives on their back and and, and amongst uh, some of uh, our men that would lie down and, and detonate it, giving up his life, trying to eliminate some of our men. But uh, after that, it just became became pretty routine and we knew what was you know that uh anything could happen at any time and uh we uh finally met uh, with the Ninth army which was coming south and our our, our salient uh, was uh, going north finally crushed uh, and eliminated the rear pocket which there were about 300,000 in Modell's uh, army group, which uh, still was quite formidable. This was right after the uh, the bulge. This was late
0: uh, winter in 45. So April is... Oh,
1: yeah, it was, and, and I was, I didn't realize it, but Germany is probably, as, uh, it is at the same latitude as Hudson Bay, and uh, that, it, we were; it was cold. Uh, the cold was was bad, but when it got uh, when it was cold and uh, uh, there was uh, what they call muggy, uh, it, uh, it that was really penetrating. And I remember, generally speaking we were able to uh, at when we completed a town we were able to uh, use uh, the facilities of the buildings and so forth but in some of the little the smaller towns there there was a barn or or nothing and uh, i remember sleeping out uh, outside of a barn in one of these encounters with uh, a straw over my legs uh, it uh, didn't really help because my legs were numb uh, to above my knee. Uh, f- uh, the next morning, when we were out uh, on our uh, assignment to the next town, and they were li- like I was walking on stumps until uh, uh, we uh, uh, until around early afternoon, and finally I felt the circulation all the way down to my toes and sometimes even today my uh, my lower extremities uh, get cold but uh how was the food there did you have any fresh
0: fruits fresh vegetables or was it always military packaged food
1: we, did you say French food Not fresh like oh, fresh like vegetables uh, the only fresh food that we would get is if we were lucky enough to uh uh grab uh, a chicken that was uh, and uh uh behead it uh, drop it into hot water defeather it and uh, uh somehow uh somehow cook it uh i don't i mean uh, or potatoes that we could find or onions uh but generally speaking uh, we lived on K rations K rations yeah K rations which we would uh, put in above our uh, uh our rifle I mean our military uh ammunition belt in our jacket and uh, we would have it whenever we chose uh, and that was basically very seldom did only when we were in reserve that we would get hot meals from the uh, from the company but at that time there wasn't anything growing at uh, in early uh, uh in early April for us to um, uh, to to get I mean it was just onions potatoes and a a, a a chicken or eggs. I mean, I have a, a, a story about my experience with having uh, learning a, learning some of the things that the, the men from the from the country uh, farm area knew. Uh, I was uh, we were in reserve, and I was uh, always a late sleeper. <coughs> Most of most of the guys got up and went into. We were billeted in a farmhouse, and there was a big barn adjacent to it. They were into the barn, and they got their eggs from the. Uh, uh, you know, they got their breakfast eggs. I got up and I said, "Well, I'll go down and get get mine. Uh, I'll get the the next egg that the chicken lay, lays." How was I to know that a chicken only laid one egg a day? I did go in there and there fortunately there was a a hen in one of the nests and she was clucking away obviously ready to lay her egg thinking that it was all I mean it was her I reached in for it she flew out of her nest onto the floor of the uh, of the barn and waddled out to the uh, door and outside and I followed her out and as she was going up a rise of this uh, gravel path, uh, getting away, I looked and there was a, an egg emanating from her, from wherever, and it was translucent and like a very soft membrane. You could look into it and see the yolk. And as she continued going, eventually it came up and it dropped, oh, my God, right on this clay uh, pebble uh, path. And, oh, God, there goes my breakfast. (laughs) While it dropped on there, I uh, watched it in amazement as it began to solidify. And it's, wow, that's, uh, an egg. I mean, like you normally see. But... It fell, do I dare pick it up, and will it will I, it all come out? I gently picked it up, and it was whole, and it was, I looked at the bottom, it had the exact imprint of the gravel or that, that was wow. on the road. So I had my breakfast egg that time. <laughs> After the Funs uh, sniper experience, uh, we uh, went to, we, uh crossed on a footbridge one misty morning, uh, and uh, uh, the next day we were on attack uh, after we had a little skirmish in a town called Wyndham, uh, right near the Isar River. Uh, we were about ready to cross the river, and we were in this copse of wood with a little, wood Uh, trees with a dirt road in between. Uh, You could see the uh, little uh, river at the other end of it, outside. And we were replacing uh, a group that had been up front. We were going to take the lead when all of a sudden we were under an artillery attack. They had the area zeroed in, and uh, it was tree bursts. And don't you know, there was, uh, on the on that road, we had the battalion tank again, and it drew fire. Well, the, the, the two companies were all amassed in this one area. I have pictures of that area because I visited it. Uh, and uh, it was raining hot steel. I mean, it just came down like, like. Raindrops,
0: and was it the the sound? I, that's what I think a lot of people don't understand. It must have just been so loud. You don't
1: hear a sound until uh, until I mean, if you hear a sound, you're pretty pretty well safe. It's not close to you. I mean, there sounds are very prominent. Uh, you can tell uh, artillery which way it's going and whose it is, whether it's German or ours, uh, because of the uh, the sound. The sound of a burp gun, or the sound of our M1 rifle, or their uh, machine gun, or our machine gun, uh, even to the point of pistols shot. And uh, I uh, had picked up a Walter P38 uh, pistol, which was confiscated apparently <laughs> from uh, when I was sent to the hospital. From at any rate, <coughs> I decided when we were in in reserves uh, in, in, uh, in 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 Bavaria, uh, I thought I'd pull off a couple of shots. I did, I did, and. Two or three guys came out of the house immediately because they heard uh, that particular sound. So sounds were very, uh, very prominent. Yeah, yeah, and uh, wow. you could tell. But uh, the one, uh, the one that get you, uh, you don't hear the sound. You'll hear. You'll get the explosion before you hear the sound. So yeah after the first two or three bursts you could you know you could hear them exploding um in the trees uh high in the trees and uh, uh that was uh, we sustained there were twenty two casualties supposed uh, i guess recorded from with both the uh, both companies and uh and so far as our company is concerned in addition to to my injury um, we had a fatality uh, and and unfor- well any time uh, a fatality it's unfortunate but pop davis was said to I didn't was close to him but it was recorded later that pop davis said after being hit he said i can't breathe And he, he, I guess he ate his peck of dirt because he would always say, he was twice as old as we in in training. He was 36, we were 18 when we were in the States. And he was, um, about my height then, uh, but he looked like I do now, short and, uh, and paunchy, losing his hair, and he would puff and puff and puff and keep up with the, uh, with us as eighteen-year-old. What are you doing here, Pop? Why don't you, you know, why don't you take off? Said, I want to be here. Well, he was here, but he said, "Hey, you need to eat a peck of dirt before you 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 you, you die." Um. That they, Pop Davis, ate his peck of dirt. Anyhow, he, uh, uh, I was wounded, and I was. Uh, oh, Jack McDaniel, <laughs> his bell was rung because one of the, uh, what are the uh, pieces of shrapnel. Uh, broke, uh, put a hole in his helmet and rang his bell for a while. He didn't get, he didn't get hurt. He said, I should have gotten a purple heart, but I didn't get a scratch. Unlike, unlike my squad sergeant, who was while in Cologne, uh, uh, one of the shillings, uh, he was at the bottom of a building and a shard of tile came down and nicked his shoulder and he got a purple heart. Uh, And he probably lauded it when he got home. Uh, But he was a camp cowboy in a combat no-show. I never saw him. Our squad was led by our assistant squad leader, uh, a rugged Italian from Newport, uh, who uh, he eventually... uh, Well, the very day that I got... I was hit... And with this artillery barrage they went on to cross the Isar river and uh, uh our platoon sergeant ordered uh, de- ordered uh, to wade out into the stream to see what the current was like well he they because they had been asked to uh, ascertain the the current flow by, I guess, battalion. At any rate, while he was out in the water, he got shot up pretty good by uh, the Germans. The Phillips fished, went out, fished him out, got him back into safety. And uh, Lorenzo was awarded uh, the Bronze Star, the Silver Star, for his efforts of getting out into the river. I always thought that the Phillips should have gotten a uh, a um, Silver Star he was De Phillips was awarded a bronze star for taking care of his men in, earlier but uh, inequities there are all kinds of inequities yeah, I could imagine I was <clears throat> there was a bronze star awarded for the uh, uh, the uh, the Alt-Mull and funds campaign by virtue of the fact that I called in for for smoke. Uh, and they uh, drop uh, smoke into the uh, flat areas and although the uh, uh the award for uh calling in for smoke to f- to conceal our advance was given to the company uh clerk who had the uh had the coordinates of that area and called it in. So they they didn't know that it was I who, I, uh, uh, that, I, uh, that I had called it in. And my only remembrance of that was seeing these four beautiful inverted white combs uh, hitting that area side by side and eventually spreading out and giving the cover. Yeah. But I didn't know about that until one of the reunions. Oh, really? Yeah, and one of the radio, well, uh, Woody, who was the company radio man, always with the captain, uh, and I guess the company clerk, uh, when I told him that I I had called it, he looked at me, he said, you, and uh, (laughs) anyhow, he tried to get me the, he he tried to get me the, the bronze star that was awarded because he had become friendly and and kept in contact with the uh, uh, with our captain, uh, you know, he, when he was retired, but uh, to no avail. Mm. So I mean, it is what it is, and it was what it was. Uh, that reminds me of uh, my longest day when we were. Uh, uh, I didn't know the names of the small towns that we were assigned to take uh, until after the war and got the names from some of the men from our reunions. And my son compiled uh, uh, all of this because he did his uh, junior year at the University of Berlin while the wall was still up. And it was this town was, our assignment was the town of Bilstein or Bilstein, whatever. At any rate, uh, it started off early in the morning, uh, as usual, before pre-dawn, and we took a communication center at the top top of the hill, and we were going down this dirt road uh, into the uh, town of uh, Bilstein just as dawn was breaking and it was lighting up, and this was uh, in the Ruhr, and there was a layer of fog in the valley, and all oh, you could see the tops of the houses. But halfway down the hill, we were under uh, fire by a 20-millimeter uh, uh, anti-aircraft gun, which was leveled as a rifle instead of shooting up in the air. And uh, it uh, we were on point at the time with uh, the platoon sergeant, uh, my buddy and myself, the three of us, were leading down the hill when uh, we heard this. Uh, uh, we not only heard, but the dirt was kicking up and uh, uh, on uh, below the level of the uh, the road, and we hit the ground and uh, the dirt was kicked out uh, over us. His aim was a little low, but he picked up his aim and on the side of the hill and at the upper end of the uh, the column uh, we en- endured seven casualties one which became eventually a fatality but we took the town and uh, we set up defense for any counterattack mid afternoon only to be told that uh, the next town was not heard from because communications was pretty bad in in that area, and would send a patrol down to that town to see what it was well uh, our platoon was selected to send a patrol, and our squad was elected to make up the seven man patrol and Fred and I were part of it and as we were walking and i been back there and I know that the the name of the town is Kursivita uh from we were in Billstone and it's 1.1 kilometers from one end of town to the other at any rate just outside the town there was a a, a bollard mine uh a, a, a trap or uh, and and sitting in front of this were three women on and on, uh, uh they had their sheets of uh, whatever they had in, in white sheets and bowls uh there were the three generations, probably the grandmother, mother, and daughter and they were they were crying uh and uh Fred and i uh i said now we know why we're here to liberate but uh, uh but I often wondered about that in years. It uh, after uh, I I coaxed uh, some Germans out of the first town, uh, out of the first uh, uh, village, uh, first house, and we were taking them back because our mission was completed. F Company had not taken the town, and we were on our way back. Uh, the women were gone when we were g- g- going back the road to uh, to Belstein, but on the way back, a P forty seven swooped down and started firing. So my longest day included uh, initial uh, attack uh, in the morning by uh, the enemy and also by our own forces. And we took the prisoners back only to be told that uh, uh, you had to go back to Kershavita, they were sending the tank down there, and uh so Fred and I were assigned to go down there. I don't know why only two of us, but uh we did and uh, well, uh, guided the the tank through the 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 uh the trap there that was mined and then the other when he got to the other side uh, he fired down the the road and set a House of Fire down at the end. While we were there, uh, a jeep came swooping down the road, and uh, we tried to warn them about the about the mines, and uh, to no avail. They tried to go around. They hit a mine. They blew the they blew the jeep. The four uh, were thrown out. None of them. Uh, uh, sustain any uh, injuries uh, or they might have said they had but anyhow there were four officers uh, coming in to liberate the town and obviously gain credit for it uh, for their resume but uh, that was part of my longest stay.
0: So you're in the hospital and you hear about General Patton. Um,
1: uh, Yeah uh, I was in the hospital because uh my while in one of the replacement uh depots uh, uh but I had been assigned to the signal company uh and they were demobilizing and they need someone uh to fill out the papers, so I could type so that I was brought in to, to help fill out the papers for these guys because
0: you, you could type.
1: That was <laughs> I could type, I could write, like, <laughs> yeah, so i uh, I had taken a course in typing <laughs> while in junior high school. Oh, that's cool at any rate um, um i uh, uh while there the my wound began to fester and it was became infected, and uh, uh they weren't quite sure whether they wanted to send me home. I mean, back to the uh, back to the states. I was sent to a hospital, which at that time was outside of Heidelberg, and uh, I had to wait until the infection uh, abated because the uh, the wound was quite deep. Thank goodness uh, that. The muscles at that time when I was young were pretty good. Otherwise, it would probably would have severed that uh, main artery going down the center part of the leg, and that would have been tough to stop. At any rate, uh, I was in the hospital, and I had to wait while uh, this thing cleared up before they could cut out all the old scar tissue and sew me up, which they did with uh, eighth-inch wires. Uh, and while there... Um, they uh, brought Patton in feet first, and they took him out feet feet first a week later. While well, the first couple of, I have read since that uh, his uh, his paramour was with him uh, for his couple of days. Uh, that he was there and had to uh, had to leave when his wife came over wow. and sat with him. Uh, and it wasn't known at the time. And the nurse that I almost married that was on duty at the time uh, lied to me. She said that he was thrown from his command car. At that time, they had some command open command cars, and he just had some gravel in his hands and, and his face. <coughs> Where it turned out, as everyone knows, that he is neck uh he, his spinal cord was severed at his neck and he was paralyzed from the from the neck down and they tried um try they had an Austrian guy come in to try to uh, stretch him uh to see whether they could reconnect to no avail and uh he he would not submit to an iron lung, which was the way he could sustain life and uh he decided that uh, he he didn't get the bullet in the forehead by the last day. He died of pneumonia in a hospital in Heidelberg. You and
0: I spoke a little bit about how Patton's Third Army rescued my uh, grandfather. I'm sure, oh yes. And so I, I printed this out and uh, I'll just kind of walk through it here. Um... He was a corporal in the Dutch Army. They were called a second-class sniper in 1934. He was called up in um, 1939. He was a prisoner of war in the actual BMW factory. And on uh, D-Day 75 years ago today, he heard that the Allies were moving uh, forward, and he smiled when he heard that. And someone saw him smile. And then he was forced to go to the Woolhide camp um, in uh, 1944, September. And then there was this this, uh, death march that he had to uh, go on. And 450 started. And he was one of the 90 that survived. But um, he spoke a little bit about, and he wrote a little book I got over there. And how he was liberated by the Americans and uh, while he was on his death march. But at the bottom, if you see on that sheet, that the 386th Infantry Regiment of the U.S. Army's 97th were the ones that liberated my grandpa. So I'm
1: incredibly
0: grateful for your peers.
1: that's yep. great I'm glad i uh, this is it heartening it really is
0: uh can you tell me a little bit about the division the Blackhawk division
1: well the blackhawk division uh, the Blackhawk division was activated in Howes, uh texas uh, a year uh, a year before I joined them and um they went through their maneuvers out there. And uh, over a uh, skeleton division when uh, my training group was assigned to them uh, by virtue of the fact that uh, the impending invasion, they felt that they needed replacements. So the division, most of the division was sent uh, overseas as replacement in anticipation of the D-Day invasion. Uh, which, as we are here talking, uh, is uh, the seventeen seventy fifth anniversary of it today. Uh, at any rate, uh, we from Camp House they were reassigned to Camp Livingston, and from our when we finished our Fort training at Fort Benning, uh, our battalion was sent uh, en masse to the eighty sixth division and others that had been in that program that. Uh, Uh, that we had been in at uh, Fort Benning uh, that were now uh, in schools, in colleges, were all taken out and put into the infantry. And the complement of the 86th Division was done with men uh, that were 18 to 21. And we were called the Kid Division because originally... uh, uh, when at Camp Livingston, I think the average age of the division for all fifteen thousand was just under twenty years old. And uh, later, it still became the Kin division when we sent some of our guys over, and in and in, in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, they needed additional uh, help over there uh, after. The, uh, the number of uh, casualties that were incurred at the initial outset of the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, and at that time, the Army d- did not send anyone 18 and, yo- 18 and younger into combat. So it was only the nineteen years year olds and older that were sent from our division uh, for augmenting the casualties uh, uh, of the beginning of the bulge. Uh, we. Uh, trying to think. Oh, we in order to fulfill the complement of the division, uh, other other division other other uh areas of the army uh were also uh, uh curtailed or, or ended like coast artillery and the aircraft mountain division uh, air cadets uh, uh any of those programs like the program that we were in at fort Benning, which was curta- which was uh, eliminated uh filled out the complement of the uh of our 86th division when we were first, uh, uh, after we uh, had crossed the Rhine and were working uh, the various little towns, and we became pretty—we uh, uh, weren't green anymore after the after we uh, stripped the guys. Uh, we were still green that time, but uh, the next couple of towns sort of hardened us, and we were. Uh, Uh, I think we felt at least, although we were still new in the area, we still felt that we had uh, experience. And uh, we were going up, uh, we uh, we had the uh, battalion tank with us on this one uh, advance to the town, which it was over the hill that we were going up. And uh, I said, well, I not going to walk up this hill uh, to the crest of the hill so i hopped on the bank of the, t- uh, the back of the tank and we were rolling along when almost not quite to the uh, some maybe 50 yards from the uh, crest of the hill uh, something flew across over the turret of the tank 6 inches in front of me and exploded on the other side of the uh, the rise of uh, the other side, and uh it was a uh, uh, inflated explosive device that six it was it was the uh, the Panzerfaust the Panzerfaust was like a, a round topped lollipop uh, the size of the uh, it was a Counterpart to our bazooka, it was an anti-tank missile, but the uh, the warhead was the size of a like a volleyball, and there was a, a long propellant uh, uh, a, a, a vertical. I mean, a cylindrical propellant uh, 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 pro- uh, holder of the propellant uh, along with it. You call it, it a
0: lollipop.
1: Well, yeah, one of those. those yeah, it, it it looked like a lollipop if you would, you know, before uh, not that it, at that time, but I guess before before it's uh, it, before it's commissioned, if you will, it looks like a, a lollipop with the propellant as a stick and the uh, explosive like a uh, uh, the the jelly the uh, hard jelly top of the lollipop. At any rate, it exploded on the other side and. Uh, by my buddy Fred, uh, who later became CEO of John's Manville Corporation and others. Anyhow, he, he was upended and I had jumped off the tank and, uh, Jack McDaniels, who was one of our, uh, cabin mates sometime and he became an attorney in Uniontown. He was from, a, a family of, of attorneys. He wrote in his book that, uh, uh, not his book. He was asked to write about his memoirs by his uh, college that he went to in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, who was asking all veterans of Western Pennsylvania to submit their stories. And he did. Uh, and he uh, uh, mentioned that uh he was visited by that Greek kid from Cleveland <laughs> and uh and then later on and he said when that happened when that happened he said I thought he was dead uh so that was one of my clear up for it. and it's a matter of inches that's uh, amazing was it yeah. deafening i'm assuming you pardon it was deafeningly loud oh gosh yes yeah and uh and it, I guess it scared up. Jack. Jack was an, a very uh, loquacious, if you will, Irishman. <laughs> and uh, uh, at any rate, uh, Jack wrote that, and uh, he was. Uh, Did you go to the hospital after that? No, I wasn't hurt. I mean, I, I jumped. Just shook you up. It was on the other side. I ju- I jumped off the lower side of the tank and. Uh, uh, ever after that, I wanted to stay away from the tanks. They drew fire. I didn't <laughs> want to be close to them. At any rate, that was uh, one of them. I mentioned your other the other two near misses. Uh, um, uh, the attack on Billstein, where the uh, where the anti aircraft got uh, hit below, where Fred D Phillips and I were uh, leading down the hill. Uh, and also with the p forty seven that was strafing on the way in when we were bringing the four prisoners back uh, and the next one was this was all in in uh, uh, in the rural area uh, in Bavaria uh, the day that uh, my buddy Fred was wounded uh was on a town uh called Funz, p f u n z or something like that and it was uh, adjacent to the uh, uh uh a river that uh, uh was a, uh, had an open field about maybe a thousand yards by eight uh, by eight hundred yards was the lowlands where they used to do their farming uh, the Altmold River, and from the one side where we were coming down to across this depressed area and the river, there was a causeway, an arched uh, stone causeway, which was at the level of the road uh, on the one side to this uh, heightened area of the vill- of the town at the f- far end, which was m- maybe. Twelve to fifteen hundred yards uh, from one to the other across the river in the open area. We started down the hill, and for whatever reason, I can't remember why I was alone. There was not anyone around. Um, I heard machine gun fire uh, to my right, and so I ducked down below the uh, level of the uh, of this uh, uh, road uh and uh, uh in looking at where the firing was coming from and I had the uh, platoon handy talking and I was uh down lo- waiting to see what happened all of a sudden there was a tug on the sleeve of my combat jacket and maybe this far from my eye in the in the in the ground right in front, a little wisp of smoke set coming up. Said, oh boy, that guy was a bad shot. <laughs> I came. <laughs> I, I, so you I don't missed know, your eye by an inch. Less less than wow. an inch, and uh, uh, I, uh, I thankfully apparently. Trying to the time it took me to analyze it, apparently he thought that he had gotten me, and so he uh, uh, he jumped out of uh, the tree, and I saw him uh, running across this open spot. By the time I got my senses together, he was concealed uh, in, in a uh, in a there was. I didn't have a sight on him uh, because of the vegetation and the trees. but uh, uh, This was at night? No, this was uh, mid-morning. Yeah, mid-morning during a bright, clear day. Wow. And uh, uh, on the other side of the causeway, I had heard that uh, we had sustained some casualties. And uh, amongst them, I heard that it was my buddy Fred... So I waded across the Altmole and ran uh, parallel to this uh, causeway in in the lowland, open territory. Thank goodness there was another sniper. At any rate, I got to the very last archway just below the the level of the town, and there was Fred and uh, uh, his one-day replacement and a couple of others that had sustained uh, uh, some injuries. And I I had carried a little two-ounce bottle of uh, liquor. You've probably seen him. Uh, it was Calvert's, which they don't make anymore today. And I I gave him, I said, here, here's, uh, here's something for you. You owe me a drink. And I did get that drink later on after we reconnected after the war back home. But I did not see him again until... Uh, after I got home and he was home in, uh, later in in 46 or 47. Like when you
0: found out that you're coming home, were you
1: surprised? Were you all expecting it? No, I, I, I knew I would be coming home in, in the order that they had set up. Uh, they had instituted a method by which they that had been in longer would come home first, which was uh, uh, which was as it should be, except for exceptional cases that had to come home for various reasons, or I guess some people uh, had political connections and were able to get out. But that that went pretty orderly. Uh, you needed a score of eighty five in order to uh, uh, become eligible for. Uh, uh, redeployment to the, uh, as they called it, the ZI, the Zone of Interior. And most of the guys that uh, had been in since, uh, uh, you know, since before the war started were rightfully the ones that come home sooner. And 85, the number was compiled by uh, the length of service uh, and where one point per month for the time you served in the United in the zone of interior. Two points per month for the service in in uh, outside into foreign uh, land, and five points for every uh, uh, military decoration that you received while in service. Uh, and I I'm not sure. Uh, right now which well i guess they were uh the decorations were re- those that were referred to combat so i my total was uh, like 35 so i knew i was way down the line for redeployment and as it turned out it uh, was over a year after the war ended before i was uh, uh, before my group, and they would put you together with different groups of the same number of points. And uh, so, although I was at the hospital when the war ended, uh, I my division came home while I was uh, in still in Europe, and I couldn't uh, catch up with them. They were refitted, and they were halfway across the pacific to fulfill their original uh, south uh, pacific uh, uh, war when uh, the uh, harry dropped the bomb and uh, they ended up instead of in japan they ended up in the philippines while i languished in uh, in europe uh, and uh, it it was one of the uh loneliest and uh, most difficult time that I can remember. I didn't have a regular outfit. I was shunted from one replacement depot to another. I always had a place to sleep and eat uh, by virtue of whether it was a replacement depot or an, an outfit that was uh, uh, deploying and uh, would be there for uh or whatever, or weeks and so forth, and that went on like that. No mail, no pay, uh, nothing. Which brings up something that uh, still is with me today. I had just gotten out of the hospital and re and assigned to one of these replacement depots in some town. i I'm, might be might have been in France or in Germany. I don't remember. But uh, I went into town and they had set up a, a Red Cross booth where you get coffee and donuts. So I went up and asked for a cup of coffee and donuts. And she said that was, I think she said that was two marks, two marks for coffee and donut. This is a Red Cross, two marks. I explained to her my situation of just getting out of the hospital and had empty pockets didn't make any difference, she would not serve me. She would not serve me. So to this day, I do not and will not contribute to the Red Cross and uh, I will tell people my story, gladly tell them what a, what a outfit it is. You came
0: home around 1946? Correct. And then what did you do when you got home?
1: went to school.
0: You went right to school?
1: Yeah. Yes. I, uh, I availed myself of the GI bill and, uh, went to school and got a degree in architecture and, uh, I applied my architectural trade, uh, in, uh, a couple of architects offices, but basically I, uh, uh, I just couldn't see sitting behind a nice an desk uh, and, and drawing, drawing uh, lines. And I uh, got outside into construction. And it, my architectural training uh, in school and in the architect's office was very helpful because uh, the companies for whom I worked at at the time were bidding on different, uh, uh different co- uh, construction con contracts authored by various art, different architects. So I was able to read the plans quite well and determine what was needed. So we were able to estimate our, our price for uh, a competitive bidding. And it was, uh, it was a challenge Yeah, and it was fun, but, uh,
0: was that your whole career
1: uh, in in uh, at construction? Yes. Yeah. Uh, at various, I uh, was at various times. I was uh, a, a designer at a building, uh, and uh, we built that which I designed. I was uh, an estimator. I was a uh, subcontractor. Nice. I uh, was a field manager, and. Uh, uh, a, a wise old contractor once told me, "If you want to get out here and you want to be a manager," he said, uh, "You use your one one tool." Told me, finger, you do that." <laughs> but it was with a with, with a nice European accent, and it was. <laughs> this was all in Cleveland. Yes, yeah, so in the Cleveland and the surrounding areas. Um, uh, we, uh, well, oh, no, not only, I, I designed a bowling alley uh, in uh, Kentucky. The company that I worked for owned a shopping plaza down there, and uh, they wanted or needed a um, uh, a bowling alley to uh, complete the uh, the complex. So I designed a bowling alley for them, went down there and saw the location, et cetera. And uh, it was built, uh, uh, but uh, mostly in uh, Cuyahoga, Jaga.
0: What was your favorite project in the construction world that you can remember?
1: My favorite probably the uh, African Plains exhibit at the zoo. Uh, That was really a a challenge. And I did not design it. It was designed by someone else. And uh, we just went according to their plans and whatever changes were necessary during the course of construction. But uh, that to me was pretty much most fulfilling uh, because of what was there, and what eventually uh, it became, and uh, and apparently um, one of the uh, uh, one of the groups uh, awarded it. Uh, uh, we were uh, awarded uh, uh, something for its uh, design and uh, uh, more, I guess, for its aesthetic view. Oh, cool. Yeah.
0: What year was that, John?
1: Oh, gosh. It was in the eighties. Yeah. I don't remember. When. Are
0: you retired now or?
1: I have been since almost 20 some years.
0: So you're, you're, um, pretty active in the VFW still.
1: As long as I can walk. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I've been, uh, active in there. And, uh, in fact, uh, I, I'm not quite ready to drive long distances, and one, our commander of the VFW drove me out to the VA yesterday. Oh, yeah, and uh, we had lunch out there. And, oh, nice. Uh, yeah, it was. I mean, he's a great guy. He's also the former chief of police. Oh, cool. You may know him as Jim Brocius. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, nice.
1: Jim, yeah, that. VFW has been very helpful.
0: Did you know your wife before you left,
1: or did you? No, she lived in St. Louis, and uh, I was a Clevelander, and it was only because of Fred that I met her. Oh, no kidding! Because I, after the war, I was going to. He lived in Southern Illinois, Pickneyville, and uh, I uh, uh, made arrangements to. I had to stop in St. Louis uh, by train. And before going down to uh, uh, to Picnyville, uh to meet uh, to you know meet with him, and going through St. Louis, I think my father said that your mother has relatives in St. Louis. Why don't you drop a nickel on them uh, and give them a call? Because that's all the telephone calls. All right, or a nickel. <coughs> I did. I mean, well, I didn't right away, but uh, I had like a three-hour layover in Union uh, Station, which no longer exists, and uh, pacing back and forth, I said, well, why don't I just drop that nickel? And uh, the response was immediate. don't move. Don't go. I'll come down to pick you up. They lived in the suburbs, and uh, uh, he said, I'll come down to pick you up. Well, I had met him years ago. He came to visit in Cleveland, so I knew who he was. He was an elderly. Well, he was my parents' age, or he was older, I guess, than my mother. My mother was very young, like most Europeans, uh, The men, very, very young women. And I think the the standard rule, as I've come to find find out, is a man marries a woman half his age plus seven years but uh it was a it was a lot more uh, there was a bigger difference between my mother and my father at any rate uh, this man came down and uh, picked me up, and I called Fred that I would be delayed because he wanted me to meet the rest of the people from the same hometown that our parents came from so it was during that uh three week. Uh, sojourn in meeting people uh, that I met Ellen, and I was such a fast worker that uh, eight years later we got married. We had seen <laughs> Took each eight other. Years. Yeah, we had seen each other two or three times. We corresponded, but we had seen each other two or three times in in St. Louis, in Chicago, and a, a cousin's wedding in Sioux City, Iowa. So, uh, like I say. Uh, she came to Cleveland. Uh, there was some sort of go, uh, goings-on with the, a group from St. Louis came to Cleveland to attend the, those facilities. And it was at that time that I, uh, I, I had been around the block a couple of times and, and I was about ready. Uh, and I, I, I felt I, I pretty much knew what type of a, uh, woman that I want that I thought I would like to, uh, uh, meet up with. And, uh, it was, seems like you made the right choice. Uh, yes. I, uh, I, I, I one of the criteria was, uh, uh, what kind of children we would have. And, uh, uh, I am I am truly truly blessed with all three of my my children. We lost a little little guy and three week old, but the, my two sons and my daughter, like most parents, are precious to to them. But uh, I, I have been blessed. I have been really blessed with uh, these three guys, and uh, I, I just. I don't know why I should be so blessed, but uh, I feel that I've had a uh, great life because of them. One of my great-grandmothers lived to be 104.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: So some time ago, I took out an insurance policy that won't let me uh, succumb (laughs) until I'm 104. Ah. But I feel good, and uh, uh, all of my vitals are... Pretty much uh, parallel with uh, a man much younger than my age. My well, you age. look 50. Oh, come on. You should have said 96.